When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the new and improved Cup of Cubby Blue, proudly affiliated with the Fans First Sports Network, where you are hopefully subscribed for a ton of great Cubs content. If you like the shows, leave us a five-star review and a rating. It helps other people find the shows. And they might like our series-by-series updates and Bleacher Banter that you also enjoy. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I write about why this pirate series that the Cubs just swept is the most critical series the Cubs have had with their longest-standing division foe in years and more for Bleed Cubby Blue. And as always, I am joined by the one and only Danny Rocket. How's it going, Danny? Yo ho, yo ho, the pirates really stink. The pirates stink, the pirates stink, the pirates really stink. Um, I'm feeling great. I mean, I was at Wrigley Fields uh, the last two nights and watched the Cubs put up quite a few runs against a Pirates team that I have no idea how they are sitting atop of the NL Central, except for the fact that it is one of the ugliest divisions I've seen in a long time. And um, I don't know. I'm just not scared of anything anymore. Like Cardinals are in the toilet. Pirates don't look that scary to me at all. And then I'm like, what are you guys doing up here? Like this should be our division. (laughs) You know what I mean? The Brewers are going to sell because they got a bunch of expiring pitchers. They get something for, so they're going to white flag it. There's no reason. The only re- like the Reds who swept us, only scary team now. You you know the Pirates. I mean, not only did we sweep them, it really wasn't close. No, it was. So this is the thing I was thinking about uh, as I was getting ready for today's show. Which, admittedly, I woke up way late today, probably because I was just like so ecstatic from the sweep that you know I, it just I, I I spent a ton of energy. I just couldn't even couldn't even get to sleep last night. Um. Honestly, all three of these series, the Pirates were ahead at some point in time, and then the Cubs came back. But in the first two games, the Pirates were ahead by a lot. <laughs> like, And this is the thing that the Cubs have not done this year, where like a team jumps out to a 5-2 to two lead or whatever, and the Cubs just, they just fold. They just can't do it. They just don't come back. And in this series... They not only came back, they came back in emphatic fashion. Like on multiple occasions, they're just like, yeah, we're just not even a, this was a game that the Cubs were losing by five runs. And now it's not even a save opportunity because they're up by like eight or whatever. It's just nuts. Yeah. You're talking about game two specifically when they put up 10. When we were hanging out together. Yeah. Yeah. And they won 10 to six. I mean, that six run sixth. And that's the thing that we haven't seen this year. And we've seen them score all their runs in one inning many times. (laughs) But uh, this this time they had a five run fifth, a six run sixth. Now, I was just waiting for a seven run seventh. Unfortunately, it was just a four run seventh, but they scored seven runs at the end of the game. And that was the first game, right, when they won 11 to uh, three. So they won 11 to three, 10 to six and seven to two. Like we haven't seen this all year. I had those games switched around, I think. I, I went backwards, right? I kind of did, too. It's okay. I 11 to 3 was the first one. Yes. 11 to 3 six. was the pride night, like, almost rained out, and the Cubs were down, I think, 7 to 2 at one point in this game. They were down 5, and it really just looked bleak. And then they came all the way back to make it or to make it 8 to 7, I think, or, like, Nine to I don't remember. Yeah, Danny, it was it was up. game two. I'm actually looking at it. I'm making okay, sure. Okay, how about that we you? Got... You tell the people okay. what actually happened in these games. I'm like, I'm just like from the meta view. I'm like, the games were good. I like this version of the Cubs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it, and the other thing is specifically, we'll probably talk about it in the hot hitters. Is Ian Happ coming back to life? Uh, kind of setting the tone in that first game with a three run Homer in the first inning. And this is after Jack Swinski hit his first of two home runs in that game. 
Um, and so it looked like, and that kid's from Chicago. And I was like, oh man, this Chicago kid's going to come home and just slaughter us. But they never, the pirates never really could, they tied it up. And then the Cubs went right back ahead and then added on at the end. And it was the pirates bullpen that looked out of gas at this point. And I had said, uh, that, you know, before the the series that the Pirates bullpen has been somewhat shut down. Like if they have the lead, they've been able to hold it. That was not the case in this series. And in that sixth inning, they had that rookie on the mound um, in game two of Beto. Yeah. And he carved us up. That's the game you and I were were at. He had six strikeouts in four innings and we're like, oh, it's going to be a long night. But it was the bullpen when they came in. Contreras, they tried to get two innings out of him. It was a disaster. It gives up five runs. And, uh, I mean, the Cubs, they were just station to station. They were uh, a little bit of long ball, which we haven't seen at all. Um, Not in this game, though. They didn't hit any home runs in the game that they put up ten runs in. So, I mean, I just – is home cooking? I mean, what can you chalk it up to? Because they didn't they basically scored in this series as many as many runs as they scored in the entire road trip in California. You know, I can't that's a great question. I have a theory here that I hope I'm wrong about because one of the things that somebody pointed out, I think it was somebody on BCB, was that this team is better on weekdays than they are on weekends. And that they've really struggled with those like Wrigley weekend series. And I wonder if that's like, these are not homegrown Chicago Cubs players for the most part. And the 120 day game start is not a standard start across the league. Like if you've spent most of your life getting used to baseball games that get played at six o'clock at night, seven o'clock at night, like that is a very different routine than a baseball game that starts at 120. And so the one common thread here that's like, hey, this team looks very different than this other team that I can see is that the best wins the Cubs have had have all been night games. They've been night games at home. (laughs) And they're not very good on the road when the schedule gets mixed up. And they're not very good on weekends when the schedule gets mixed up. But I hope I'm wrong about that because it's not like Wrigley's going to change the day-night game policy. Well, I mean, Joe Madden used to complain about it. And he he wished that there were more night games. He fe- felt like that that when the team was in a certain sort of role and a schedule, it really made was a problem to disrupt that. And you know, a lot of players love the day games because they can be home at night. Maybe they have a family. Um, but the day games at Wrigley, I, I mean, I remember the days before lights, like they they would say that it was a disadvantage because you had in the in the August dog days, you have your dudes out there just laboring in the hot heat instead of having a night game, which it cools down at night. And um, so that was always like a knock on the Cubs. And then they got lights and they still weren't allowed to have a lot of night games. They still aren't allowed to have as many night games as other teams. Now I don't want that to change. I love day games. I'm going to the game today and I can't wait to sit out. Uh, it's not sunny. Maybe it'll poke through eventually. But, um, you know, I love a good day game at Wrigley. That's what we're about. I think some guys take to it and some guys don't. And it's maybe, but maybe that's part of the issue with some of these. Because the whole team's pretty much new. And, I mean, day, night. I mean, they're not good on the road. Those are night games. Like, it's hard to say. Yeah, I mean, it's just a theory. I And one that uh, I was thinking about because of how this team is constructed and who is on it right now. But whatever is going on. The other theory I have, we talked about on the last show. This team really shows up for teams that are good. (laughs) It doesn't show up as much for teams that are not. And I'm not saying the Pirates are good. After having finally seen the Pirates, I am unconvinced that this Pirates team is all that threatening. But... They are atop the division. Like this was a must win series as must win series can get in the middle of June. Uh, You lose all three of these games. You're nine and a half games back in the division. You're probably behind the Cardinals right now in last place with the worst division, worst record in the national league. You win all three of these games. You're three and a half games back in the division and your record still doesn't look that great. You're still under 500, but three and a half games behind first on 
June 15th or June 16th is very different than nine and a half games out of first on June 16th. I mean, we could be in first place by the end of next week. Theoretically. Easily. Easily. Theoretically. Yeah, I mean, you just go sweep them there. Go sweep them. <laughs> go sweep them in Pittsburgh. You know, go, win two, win two or three against the Orioles, and then go sweep the Pirates in Pittsburgh. You know, it's it's totally doable. Uh, this Pirates team does not scare me at all. There's no reason to not beat them. All the games, like we have better pitching than them by far. We uh, have, uh, I mean, they've got some hot young hitters and stuff like that, and some pesky hitters, but. And they run. I mean, they've got ways to score. We saw it in this series because they. It's not like they didn't score any runs. They did manage to score uh, six in one game, and what was it? Four in the other? No, three. Oh, yeah, they they were scoring. The Cubs had to score more. Yeah, it's not like we shut them out, but but they were pesky. They were doing station to station. They were doing hit and run where a man would vacate the spot like Nico Horner would go have to be running to go uh, cover second base. And they just shoot it right through that hole that was vacated. They were doing things like that and executing it quite well. It made me jealous to be frank. Cause we don't seem to do things like that very well, but um, so I, I don't know it's, but they did not seem like a, a team that deserves to be in first place in any division, even the central. <laughs> I mean, the central is just bad. I mean, you, you nailed it at the top of the show. Central is not a very so good. We should win it. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree, Danny. But to win it, they're going to have to show up for all of the series, not just the series that are like circled red on their calendars. Like they're not. They can't just show up for the four game Padres series. They can't just show up for the Dodgers. They, they have to show up for all of the series. And they can't get swept by the freaking Angels. You know, or the it, or the, or the Reds. Reds. You know, like getting you, swept by the Reds. Like that Red sweep might wind up being the most crucial series of losses of the whole thing. If you get down to it and you're fighting it out with the reds at the end of the season. Right. Uh, yeah. And that would also kind of be a surprise, but not, not really because this thing's just up for grabs. I mean, the Cardinals have to be super frustrated. I mean, they might be even thinking about selling well, the law Cardinals, law Cardinals. I mean, what's going on there? I mean, we knew that they didn't have the pitching, but like Jack Flaherty had like an ERA in the fives last time I looked. And it's just like totally a disaster for them. Plus they got, they still got Goldschmidt and Arenado and you got to be think that they're going to go on some sort of run, but it has not happened. I mean, they're just look. Well, along those lines. And I think this is, you know, kind of telling, although for some reason I thought Goldschmidt was doing better than Arenado. I could be wrong about that. Um, The, their pitching is not good. Like, you're absolutely right that the Cardinals have problems with pitching. Uh, their pitching is not great. But the thing that um, with some of their hitters are really unlucky right now. And part of the reason I looked this up is because I saw, um, I mean, okay, I'm the foremost Wilson Contreras stand on the internet. And I wanted, somebody was saying, oh, Wilson's hitting 201 or whatever. And he is, that's true. He's the career low batting average. for 198 Wilson now, right actually, now. if uh, you want to be accurate. Thanks, Danny. <laughs> so I went to Baseball Savant and I looked up uh, some of his underlying batted ball metrics because that is weird. That's very low for him. And frankly, he's just been really unlucky. His expected batting average is 248. More importantly, his expected WOBA is 343, which is right in line with his career averages. And he's just been super unlucky with where he's hit baseballs this season. So that's that's somebody you expect to turn it around, right? Like if you keep doing the same things and you've been very unlucky in the first couple of months of the season, then in the next couple of months of the season, you would expect that that returns to some sort of career norm. Um Arenado is a similar case. It's just like they're not hitting the they're not hitting it where they ain't right now. They're hitting it where they are, and that's problematic. Um, so I'm not. I don't think the Cardinals' bats are the problem. I think those will probably turn it around a little bit. But I do think that pitching is atrocious. Like I, I cannot fathom having that starting rotation and being competitive. I'm not super worried about Miles Mikolas or the, you know last gas of Adam Wainwright or Jack Flaherty or any of them. They're, they're not particularly scary right now. The scariest member of their rotation is Jordan Montgomery, who, as far as I can tell, is basically Jamison Tyon. Like I don't really <laughs> have any reason to fear the Cardinals rotation at all. And you know how we talk about the fact that the Cubs rotation is overperforming because they have such great defense behind them that it allows those contact pitchers to get away with more. The Cardinals rotation is experiencing the exact opposite. It's like they had this like super 
power in terms of Yadi Molina's game planning and all of the way the rules worked before that used to work for them really well. And now none of that works for them, right? They can't shift the way that they used to. They don't have Yadi back there calling every pitch and calming down his pitcher. It's, maybe he truly was the pitcher whisperer. And this is what will get him into the Hall of Fame. Yadi Molina, pitcher whisperer. But like, they don't have that anymore. And that's not a knock on Wilson Contreras, but sort of the way that I used to say the Cubs would miss Wilson Contreras's bat more than any other team that never had a catcher who could hit. The Cardinals miss Yadi's planning more than a team that never had it before. If you, if you never had that plus advantage at a position, you don't miss it the same way. You know what I mean? And so yeah. the Cardinals are missing that and their pitching was not good to begin with. It's, it's like the double whammy on the pitching side of things. Well, and it and his super outsized personality as a part of that team and just like the, you know, don't discount the vibes that that vibes, he, that he brought to the Cardinals. I mean, he was synonymous with the Cardinals. It made me hate him even more. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like and but it, he was a wonderful foil. But he you know, let's face it. He was not a great hitting catcher, but he but he was that team and he was a you know, some guys can be the glue. You need that team leader. Uh, I mean, the Cubs have been searching for it for this whole time. Like nobody really ever emerged uh, to to lead the Cubs in, in any kind of meaningful way. Like people would say Rizzo deserves to be a captain. But, you know, then they parted ways with him and. Uh, he was maybe a little bit too goofy to do it anyway, but but don't discount his contribution to just holding, being the glue that held the Cardinals together. And then you've got like the Brewers who are going to sell off probably because they're at the end of their window with their young pitchers. And if anything, they've proven that they are willing to kick this can. Like they traded Josh Hader while they were in first place. You know, it's like, they wanted to make waves like they they're like, oh, let's get what we can for this right now, because we know that down the line uh, he had had a couple of bad outings The maybe the bloom was off the rose with Hader. He's obviously still a very talented uh, closer, but, you know, Brewers are looking at it and they're looking at their expiring contracts and Yelich with another down year and not being able to hit. Uh, they can't hit lefties at all. They have the exact opposite problem of the Cubs. Oh, yeah. Their WRC plus against lefties is atrocious. I wish the Cubs had more lefties to throw at them. We, honestly, like <laughs> Gordon Whitmire was saying this on the recap podcast that he does with David Kaplan. And he was saying, because he's covering the Reds now as well as the Cubs. He said, if if the Reds hitting and the Cubs pitching could get together on a team, that would be, I mean, you could have an NL Central super team you get you borrow borrow the bet takes the Brewers guys slot them into the front of your your rotation moves like you know then you've got yourself a real solid five you move Tyone to the pen or something like that you know you could really put together a wonderful team some the hot shot rookies coming in from the Reds you could get them on your team some of the Pirates young guys in fact I'd gotta kind of get rid of most of the Cubs <laughs> like unfortunately <laughs> is what I do couple of Cubs could stay, but. Um, so let's get back to these games for one second. A couple of things that I want to call out. As you mentioned, the Cubs were scoring runs. But uh, on the final game of the series, that last one, two players uh, really stood out. Christopher Morrell and Ian Happ both had outstanding games. They both hit triples, which always puts me on cycle watch at Wrigley. Because for those of you who follow me on Twitter, I, I tweet this out anytime there's a triple uh, there's not been a cycle hit by a Chicago Cubs since May 9th, 1993. It has been 30 years since Mark Grace had the last Cubs cycle, and triples always put me on cycle watch. So I was on cycle watch for both uh, Christopher Morrell and Ian Happ yesterday. Morrell's cycle watch ended kind of early. I thought that ball that he hit up the third baseline that kind of got a little bit of the third baseman's glove, that if that if that had missed the, the glove, that would have been a double. It would have gone into the corner, but because it slowed down a bit, that became a single. And so he kind of had a single and a triple, and he was just doing Christopher Morrell good things. Although he had a warning track fly ball uh, to, for, to drive in a run 
late in the game that if the wind is kind would have been a home run on a different night, that ball was hammered. It was absolutely crushed to right. Yeah, it was blowing in pretty good. And uh, Tucker Barnhart had like this shot that just went foul. It probably would have been a basket shot. It was but... 366 feet and just like eight, eight feet, maybe foul. And I, I want to correct something I said before, because I said the Cubs did have some home runs in this uh, series, but they did not. They had no home runs. It was the Pirates that hit home runs, not not the Cubs. But Christopher Morrell hit a shot onto Waveland. In in the first game? In the Pride Night game. Oh, okay. All right. He so. came in uh, He came in for Ian Happ as a, um injury replacement late when Happ's cap oh, yeah. kind of seized up on him. Oh, got one at bat. And cranked a ball to Waveland. And Hap and Hap did. I mean, all the games are just blending in. Hap had that three-run homer to start off this series, and then Morrell had one in that Pride Night. I mean, That's, that the was games a... were good. The games were just good. It was just fun, good baseball at Wrigley. Coming from behind to win by a lot is good. And I'm telling you, the Pirates not scary. Like I thought that they were going to come in. I'd be like, "Ooh, this is an emerging team." This is not like the 2015 Pirates. No, it's not. It's not at all. Um, and I mean, it's got some vibes. Some of those guys are making stuff happen. You mentioned Jack Sawinski. I mean, the reason I remember Morrell hitting the ball to Waveland, I was just going to say, is because it has been a hot minute since I've seen a ball hit to Shetfield and a ball hit to Waveland on during the same game. It's just really hard to get a ball out to Shetfield anymore with where that video board is. Um, and so the fact that Jack Sawinski hit a ball off the top of the scoreboard that landed on Shetfield. And then Morrell hit a ball in the same game that made it out to Waveland where I, this, uh, this is a funny note. Uh, if you're a Wrigleyville insider, you'll get a kick out of this. So um, that game was rain delayed. It was also terrible weather, but the Cubs didn't want to cancel it for whatever reason. And so they let it play and it went kind it went pretty late. The Ballhawks abandoned Ballhawk Corner. The weather was so bad. So nobody knows who got Christopher Morrell's uh, home run that got hit out to Waveland because the Ballhawks were long gone. <laughs> so somebody <laughs> got Morrell's shot to Waveland. And, and I, I talked to the Ballhawks the next day and they have no idea who it is. They're just like, ah, we weren't here. <laughs> I was like, I know you weren't here because I came to say hi and you were gone. Hilarious. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's, I mean, and Morell, what can you say about this kid? I mean, just keeps hitting dongs like this. I mean, if we get back into a resurgent situation, and I'm watching him really close because I, I he, you, you just don't want to see the strikeouts, right? I mean, and so anytime he even gets out on like a line driver, like the warning track shot that you're talking about, like, I'm fine with it. Just like, just don't miss the ball, dude. Cause then I feel like you might disappear again. Like that's my fear is that all of a sudden we're going to get into like 50% strikeout range again. Um, I still don't understand. I don't mind what he DHs. His center field is okay, but Tachman's been playing so well. You just, but I do not understand for the life of me why they won't even give him a shot to play third base, which is the position he's played his entire career the most of anywhere. And I don't know why they're trying to make this Madrigal thing happen so badly. They want to trade Nick Madrigal. (laughs) Yeah, but nobody who would be (laughs) fooled by this. You know what I mean? Like, are these? I mean, I agree with you. Are we saying that that the people that run Major League Baseball teams, that there's even one out there with millions and millions of dollars in their hands to give contracts that are is going to look at Nick Madrigal as a third baseman and be like, that's our guy, 599 OPS, zero power, all you can hope for is a single at best out of this guy. Like, no arm, like who is looking at this and is going to be like, oh yeah, he played a lot of third. He's must be good at third. Like the Cubs know what they're doing. It must be fine. Like who would be fooled? I you mean, need- I agree with you. And it is the same thing that the Red Sox have tried to do with Bobby Dahlbeck at multiple positions. And also it's pretty clear. That's what they're doing. They, they're not looking to trade Christopher Morrell. They're looking to trade Nick Madrigal. And so they have to prove that Nick Madrigal can be anything other than a bad, bad defensive second baseman. And they're trying to prove that he can be a good third baseman. And it's sort of laughable, but that's what they're trying to do. Now I will say this, 
I want to talk about Mike Talkman for one minute because I have a funny note about Mike Talkman that I noticed while I was at the game the other night. Mike Talkman is one of the only hitters in baseball who is excellent with his on-base percentage while simultaneously being so absolutely powerless that his slugging just like lags his on-base percentage to an incredible degree. So his on-base percentage is 414. That is outstanding territory. That is like better than what Anthony Rizzo used to do with the Cubs. He slugs 338. That is, you do you have, do you have any idea how powerless you have to be to underperform your sluggy, your on-base percentage with your slugging that much? You know who used to do that sometimes is uh, who used to have that is like Almora, who just would just hit single after single after. He had, you know, maybe a little bit more power than Talkman, but like still, it was like, I mean, Almora was good for like five dongs or something. I was like going to say, I don't Talkman's think Almora ever had an on-base percentage over 400. Well, but... And that's kind of the issue. <laughs> like, you know, I it, it's like you've got a few guys with power. Like we were kind of arguing about like um, who, who when Bellinger was – activated yesterday who it happened like Mervis got sent down and like that made all the sense in the world because he was struggling and I don't think he's got anything to prove at triple a but we the bats aren't now they're not really there for you you know for trying to win games if you can't just be dis you can't be hitting 160 and just you, you know it just can't somebody had to go so it was Mervis but well. we are arguing who would come who it would be and everybody was like, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't say it would be necessarily Mervis. Like I would say uh, it would be magical because, you know, you look around this team and maybe it would be Tuckman because you need some power. You need it, it was it's either wisdom or it's uh, morale. And wisdom's been unplayable because he can't he hasn't been able to do anything from any offensive standpoint lately he's been olaying a bunch of balls at third base so like nobody wants to see that um you know you've got mastroboni could have gone he's still on the team i think right yeah uh, i guess he is because he was there the <laughs> other day um playing sure so, i mean yeah mastroboni is is the guy that i thought could have gone i think that the reason mervis met went is more about getting him everyday plate appearances letting him reset a little bit and then he can come back after they trade Cody Bellinger. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely, that's what's happening. But you know, but you need to get the power from somewhere. And that's, I agree with and, that. And that's the thing. It's like you know, you. And Talkman is not the answer for power. Although I do like what Mike Talkman has been doing, both in the field and with getting on base a ton. Like having a dude who gets on base at a four hundred clip in your lineup at the top of the lineup is a great thing. Well, we they let take- they let him off, and he went two for four. And then he went three for five. And then the next night he went one for four. I mean, he's batting 296. I mean, that you're just you're just getting on. Yeah, yeah I mean it's, fine. It's, fine. It, it's <laughs> I, I it is, but like at this point, you know, what happens to that little plan of when Bellinger gets trade? I mean it, well, I, let's I mean talk I know about that's the- Bellinger trade rumor stuff, but let's do it on the flip side. We need to take a quick break for our sponsors. We are well overdue. We'll talk about um, whether or if Cody Bellinger will get traded, what would need to happen for that to be the case. And then we'll also preview this Orioles series. Baltimore Orioles are good this year. Uh, They are coming to town and it'll be, should be a wonderful weekend series at Wrigley Field. Um, Although it's been a little chilly here if you've been in the Chicagoland area, but let's take a quick break first. All right, we're back. So the Cody Bellinger thing, I've, I've been thinking about a lot. And I really believe, Danny, if this team is near 500 and within, say, four games of the division lead, so kind of where they're at right now at the trade deadline, they're buyers, not sellers. Now, they have to be strategic buyers. Like, they don't have the... And what I mean by that is like, they don't want to sell the farm to like get a bunch of like rental guys to come in. Like they would want guys on two or three year deals. They would want to supplement. They might try to add on, you know, some lefty arms, for example, like we were just talking about or those types of things. And if they're buyers, not sellers, the Cody Bellinger question becomes really interesting because you can do one of two things with Cody Bellinger. You can trade Cody Bellinger while still keeping everybody else if you truly believe that, like, some combination of Talkman and Mervis is going to be as good as Cody Bellinger. And frankly, 
there's a world where that's true. Like Cody Bellinger has been God awful for multiple seasons. He had a burst of about a month where he was really good with the Cubs in this season. But that does not mean he's back to 2019 MVP caliber Cody Bellinger, right? Like it, it is highly possible that the last three months of Cody Bellinger this season is as bad as he's been over the last three years. In fact, some projection systems would say that is likely. So you almost want to, tr- you know what I mean? Like there is a world where a combination of Talkman and Mervis after Mervis resets and like gets some confidence back and comes back and can play first again or whatever, or Patrick wisdom on a burner or whoever the Cubs trade for to play first base since they decided they could let Anthony Rizzo go to the Yankees. Yes. I'm still bitter. Um, there's a world where that is like enough. You know what I mean? And you're still competitive and you can still add in in other places, but you can't trade Cody Bellinger and Marcus Stroman and Kyle Hendricks and Patrick wisdom and be competitive. Do you know what I mean? So there's like a partial sell-off type of thing that could happen here. Yeah. And it might not be considered a sell-off. It might be more like trading from a position of relative strength than, and strengthening positions of relative weakness where like the trade could be a win-win for both teams kind of thing um, where you just sort of improve yourself at certain places, like strategically, like you said, but yeah, you can't get, you can't lose your starting rotation and be serious. Well, then you you're pressing the reset button and, and you know, we had a lot of news about Marcus Stroman this week and we talked about it on the last show because, you know, I, we were a day late because I went to an event with Marcus and it's just like, he's positioning himself and I don't know if it's very smart for him to be out there in the press, like, you know, saying dumb stuff, like, cause you saw that, uh, Hoyer came back. It was like, actually, that's a total lie. Like we are talking to Marcus Stroman. And so now, now we're off to a bad start with that's this whole not thing. What, that is not what Hoyer said. Hold on. I want to push back on this a little bit. Hoyer said nothing. He said no comments, 17 different ways. It was honestly one of the most impressive consultant type moments of Jed Hoyer that I have ever seen in my life. He's just sitting there like, well, we don't really talk about contract negotiations and season. We love what Marcus has done for us, but we don't talk about our conversations. And if he chooses to talk about those conversations, he chooses. He does that. I mean, it honestly was. It was McKenzie-esque. He said there is dialogue. Yes. Dialogue means, you know what dialogue is? Good morning, Marcus. How's your day? That's dialogue. Like, that's dialogue. There's He used to say this about Wilson Contreras, too. I talk to Wilson Contreras every day. Indeed. Not about an extension with the Chicago Cubs. Like, (laughs) I, I am team Stroman on this. Like, I think Stroman is correct. And Hoyer is trying to talk us into believing something that is not true. I just don't know, like, going to the Chicago press and being like, they won't talk to me is really the best negotiating tactic. That's all I'm saying here. I'm just like, why are you why are you doing it that way? Like, I don't think that it's very beneficial. But just but by the way that this front office operates, because now you're just never going to get a deal. We're all, we'll be all screwed out of your contract because they're like, who is he to do that? Because that's how they react to guys like Marcus Stroman and even a lot of fans carry that water. They're like, well, I he's agree. a loud mouth and he should stay off Twitter and just shut up and pitch. Like that's what people think. I'm the opposite. I like his personality. And I like how he's, he's out there with his opinions on things. And I like that he's going down to hanging out with the lost boys and reading books to him. And you know, I think I, he should be here, but, and we need him too, as a pitcher. I agree with literally all of that. And I think that Jed Hoyer, to give Jed Hoyer credit for saying we're talking is like, no, no, no. That is, he gets no credit for the words that I heard him use in that pregame interview. I watched it before I headed over to the ballpark to hang out with you. I literally sat here and watched the whole thing because I was just like, I want to hear, I want to see if Jed Hoyer says anything of consequence. And he did not because that is what Jed Hoyer does. He, He does not say anything. In fact, as I was watching that interview, I texted a good friend of mine who's a Red Sox fan. And I said, do you think it's possible that uh, the reason Jed Hoyer was always Theo Epstein's number two is because he's one of those guys who is competent and can like get things done. And so Theo knew that like Jed would always like come through and follow through and like get done what he needed to get done while simultaneously not being good enough to ever be a threat to the number one. Like Theo kept Jed around because he knew that 
Jed was never going to upstage him, but also would get stuff done. And I have this sinking suspicion that Hoyer is just like not that dude. And like, as I listen to him, I hear a guy who can say words that make people think he is saying things <laughs> and make people think that he is doing more and committed to more than he actually is committed to. I watch, I watch debaters and like politicians do this all the time. And I just, Hoyer strikes me as the guy who people think is smarter than he is. Yeah. And who thinks he's smarter than he is. And I have a problem with a lot of the front office, like the, you know, in that uh, front offices in that way, the smartest guys in the room who think they know what they're doing. It's just like, you know, I get in even to, to it on uh, like talk about Wilson Contreras and how he's having bad luck. Well, you could say it's bad luck or the team's just figured out where to play him, you know, and then he's got to make the adjustment and baseball is a series of adjustments. So when you want to talk about stats, the next question is, are these stats predictive or not? And sometimes they are. And sometimes they aren't. And what would make a predictive stat, uh, you know, like let's say a guy's gone, even something stupid, like he's already gone four for four in the game. Well, what are the odds he's going to go four for five or five for five? Like probably better odds that he goes four for five than five for five, you know? And it's just like dumb stuff like that where you got to say that it was something predictive. What are the odds of something happening? And it really doesn't matter because it's moment to moment. Every time I flip a coin, it could come up heads every single time. There could be heads one, one kabillion times in a row. It could come up yeah. heads because it's 50 50 each individual time. Right. So when you look at like how stats and like the big binder that is handed to uh, David Ross uh, in iPad form, actually, you, you know, when he sees the roster that they send him that day, he says, oh, Master Bodie's got to lead off because the, you know, Cubotron 3000 is spitting this out. Like, I don't trust the modeling because the, it's built. You know, it's like there's a ghost in the machine building this stuff. Well, our old models built on this new model built on this new model is creating this other model that's giving us Miles Mastermoney at the leadoff hitter. But anyone with half a brain that's ever watched a freaking baseball game knows that the that's the dumbest crap you've ever seen in your life. So it's like, you know, there's a point in which I think the data takes over and makes situations possible like Miles Mastermoney leading off that then becomes self uh, then those then the new stats that come in show that Miles Matrimony is not a good leadoff hitter because it didn't go well. And now the new data will. I, I, am I making sense at all? Like I'm just saying, like as new data, like you can't look at data, like Jed and his office are looking at it, and then really make a good baseball team. You need an actual sixth sixth sense of how your team should be constructed to make it actually work. You can't just. No. Yeah. It, it's not just, it's not just data. It's like data and good feelings and some good luck and like some also vibes. I mean, I, it's funny that you bring this up. I was just People. listening to an interview on one of my favorite fantasy baseball podcasts that is, I think is sort of related to this. So I, I will try to do this succinctly because I know nobody cares about your fantasy team, but I think it's worthwhile in this instance. Um, there is a contest at a site called the NFBC that's like high stakes fantasy where you can you can like pay in for like $1,500, $2,000 entries, right? And you can get a payout of like $150,000 if you win the overall, which is not just like your 15 team league, but like the combination of all of the leagues. Anyway, one of the players who has done well in multiple overall competitions was talking about how he uses projections and all of those things. And uh, Andrew Gels, and he was saying that like the, he uses projections to inform his draft strategy, like at the start of the season to say, yeah, like Verdugo is projected to hit 278 and have 12 homers and 15 stolen bases. That's useful at the beginning of the season. But once you get into the middle of the season and it's like rest of season projections that are based on partial data and like trying to like feed in what's going to happen towards the end of the year, he kind of stops doing that because it's not as useful to use the rest of season projections as it is to use like what you're seeing with your own eyes each day because the rest of season projections are just kind of like pulling off 20 plate appearances each week here and there and like trying trying to make mi minimal adjustments. They're not really spitting in new information. And I think that what you're describing is kind of like that. It's like the mid season management thing is you have this vision where maybe your numbers tell you 
Marcus Stroman is going to be better than the rest of the league perceives Marcus Stroman is going to be. Great. That's really useful at the start of the season when you're trying to decide if you should sign Marcus Stroman or not. But that's not as useful for like predicting Marcus Stroman is going to be exactly the same guy that he's been up to June 16th for the rest of the season because he's not like that's not the way baseball works. Yeah, <laughs> Lots well, of different inputs are happening. Exactly. There's regression. Did the guy follow a ball off his foot last week and he's going to be hobbling around playing on a bruised toe for a couple weeks and that's going to drop his like to know these things of that are actually happening to humans don't really end up in the stats until it's too late. You know, and it's it, and so there, there's that, like how a guy responds to an injury or um, or or maybe he just kind of has a new approach and you're like, well, that guy's going to regress. There's no way he's going to hit 330 all year. And then he just does because he figured something out that is not really measurable except for that in. The, but instead, except for after he already did it. So really, when you're looking at the stats, you're looking at the past and not the future. So it's like, you know, a team like the Orioles, which if you look up and down their lineup, you can't say that they're particularly great at anything. But they're doing more with what they've got, you know, and um, the Pirates are a similar example. Like there's nobody scary up and down there that lineup, um, but they managed to win a bunch of baseball games because of executing like doing simple things like making a hit and run work or um i don't know somebody freaking emerging from the bullpen and being nails for once like whereas uh, you know like maybe that's good luck sometimes maybe it's just simple luck i don't know like um because a lot of stat people are looking at this cubs team and they're and being like they are performing negatively in like the fifth percentile of what they should be. Right. Totally. So, in fact, let's talk about the Orioles because the Orioles are coming to town. And I think that we need to get through this uh, preview so that we can get to some day, day baseball, yeah, day yeah. baseball at Wrigley field. We've got plans to go hang out and see the Cubs try to keep the, their winning ways up against the Baltimore Orioles. Let's start with some probable pitchers for these matchups. It looks like the Cubs are going to roll out. Uh, Kyle Hendricks, TBD, and Jamison Tyon. I've heard rumors that TBD is anticipated to be Justin Steele, but no roster moves have been made to that effect. Uh, the Orioles will be countering with Cole Irvin, Kyle Gibson, and Dean Kramer. Uh, Cole Irvin has struggled this season so far. Gibson and Kramer have been good. What do you see in these pitching matchups? Yeah, we don't see a lot of these guys. I'm looking at the Cubs versus, uh, like versus Cole Irvin, Trey Mancini. Has as a dong out off him. He's four for twelve. Dansby Swanson's three for nine, but like nobody else has really seen him. Uh, then uh, Kyle Gibson, uh, Jan Gomes, like kind of owns him. <laughs> he's batting four oh six. Yes, in thirty two uh, at bats, he's got two home runs off him. So does Cody Bellinger is batting three thirty three. They've seen a lot of him. Like we, I mean, here's here's what the Cubs are slashing in ninety seven plate appearances versus Kyle Gibson. Um, they're slashing 361, 427, 626 for a 1055 OPS. Now you could now just in the new statsy way, you could be like, well, regression to the mean is is probably gonna happen, and the Cubs will probably go over on this game, and there's no way they own him. Or you could view this as predictive and say, Well, Cody Bellinger has two donks, so he's obviously I want to bet him to to hit a home run in this game. But then Dean Kramer, I don't know. I don't, or Kramer, 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 Kramer. I think I, I Kramer? honestly don't know. I've heard it pronounced like seven different ways on fantasy baseball podcasts. Kramer, I'm, I, I'm not sure how you say here. it. Um, but I will tell you that he's he's kind of one of these pitchers that people can't decide if he's good or not. So he's like, you could stream him. He's been okay, but also none of us believe that that's real. <laughs> Well, nobody believes the Orioles are real, and then they keep... I believe being... the Orioles are real. I just don't think their pitching is very good. Their hitting is really good. When we get to hot and cold bats and they're hitting, like, I actually like their young bats a lot. Yeah, I mean... There's a it... reason they felt like they could part ways with Trey Mancini and they weren't going to miss anything. Well, yeah, because they have these young guys uh, kind of overperforming. They, Aaron Hicks, who I think was on the Yankees before... Yep. He came he's not off... a young guy. He's an old guy. Yeah, he's an old guy, but he's, like, finding new life. 
And, uh, you know, they just, I mean, they've been, Austin Hayes has been good. Cedric Mullins, Adley Rushman, their young uh, all-star catcher. Or I don't know if he's been on an all-star team, but he will be someday. Yeah. Um, Gunnar Henderson. Like, they have just have these guys, and they're all working quite well together as a team. I, I think, um, you know, you don't get to be in the AL East to get to be. They're in second place, aren't they? Yes, they're in second place. And in fact, let's talk I mean, about some hot bats on the Orioles right now over the yeah. last two weeks. Gunnar Henderson, who had been off to a slow start this season, uh, no, not so the last two weeks. He's really turned it on and good for him because he's a fun young player. He's their third baseman. Um, slashing 405, 421, 838 over the last two weeks for a WRC plus of 248. He has been by far the hottest hitter in this series. Uh, Ryan O'Hearn is slashing 367, 406, 733 for a WRC plus of 213 over that time period. Aaron Hicks, who you mentioned, slashing 297, 409, 568, much to the chagrin of Yankees fans for a WRC plus of 171. Ramon Urias, 314, 333, 486 for a WRC plus of 126. And Austin Hayes slashing 286, 308, 510 for a WRC plus of 120. Danny, that's like five guys who are can do damage in the lineup. And I didn't even talk about Adley Rushman, who, as you mentioned, is their absolutely wonderful catcher. Yeah, and they just beat Toronto. They swept Kansas City for three games, actually. Um, so they've they've been doing well. I mean, they've been do- they're pretty good in June so far. They're eight and four. I mean, everybody keeps waiting for them to go away, and they just keep not going away. So um, they're twelve and seven in one run games, which is just like a Cubs dream right now. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's the, the the reverse of the Cubs. Yeah. That's what happens when you have a bullpen, people. Well, and Brandon Hyde, you know, it's a shame that, like, you know, Brandon Hyde probably would have been in the running for the Cubs job had he stuck around as bench coach a little bit longer. And everything I've heard from, like, our, further, our friend Heather Lannington Noble, you know, she's like, they love him. And, he, and they attribute a lot of the Orioles success to Brandon Hyde. And it's a shame because the Cubs attribute a lot of their failure to David Ross. So well, I don't know. <laughs> what's wild is, I mean, there's a couple of guys who worked with Davey, uh, with um, Joe Madden who are really thriving as managers right now, right? Like Davey Martinez Martinez for the Nationals won a World Series and has done a really nice job with a team in a rebuild that has overperformed their rebuild expectations. He kind of had a moment earlier this week, really upset about lane violations. If you recall, the Nationals lost a game in the NLCS, I think, or or the World Series that year because of a lane violation called on Trey Turner and then there wasn't one called on this Astros dude the other night. And my favorite part of this is it's not even that I think Davey Martinez is right. I think that this rule is dumb and I hate when the lane violation gets called, but he's got like a color printout and he's like, look, you can see it. He's like in the post game presser. (laughs) The printout of the picture. If you've not seen this, you have to go find the video. It's great. (laughs) I mean, I'd like to see David Ross like be a little bit more demonstrative like that, you know, and really seem like he cares. I don't, I, I know he does care and he's out there grinding and trying to get it done. He wants to keep his job. And, um, but yeah, I mean, Davey Martinez, a little bit more experience was a bench coach, you know, I mean, David Ross didn't bench coach even, you know, like it's kind of weird to just give him the job. And I mean, it's a yes, man situation. This is college of coaches all over again, everybody. It really is like, I don't think it's a good idea because the manager needs to manage the people. The, the actual physical human beings needs to make sure that they're ready spiritually, physically, um, emotionally to play a baseball game that day and be prepared to win it. I just don't know that Ross is that guy. He's like, hey, just get out there and uh, here's here's the printout from the Cubotron 3000. You know, Cubotron here's what we're doing. Master Boney, you're in there first. <laughs> well, I hope Cubotron 3000 takes a look at some of the Cubs hot hitters because there are a few guys who are raking and I want them in the lineup for all of these Orioles games. Christopher Morrell has two home runs in the last two weeks. He is also slashing 296, 394. 593 in that time period. And more importantly, in the last two weeks, Christopher Morrell has walked 15.2% of the time and struck out 12.1% of the time. His WRC plus is 161. Leave that man in the lineup, please, for the love of God. Miguel Amaya 
is slashing 263, 417, 421 with a WRC plus of 142 over that time period. Jan Gomes heating up, slashing 292, 346, 458 over that time period with a WRC plus of 120. This is my plea to David Ross to let Jan Gomes and Miguel Amaya handle the catching duties during the series and not mess around with the Tucker Barnhart experiment. And then Ian Happ has turned things around. Uh, he The batting average isn't quite back, but the power surge has really helped him out. Uh, he's slashing 222, 375, 356 with a WRC plus of 111 and was a home run shy of the cycle last night. Yeah, it's great to see him turn it on. Um, yeah, Cubs scored a lot of runs. Hopefully it continues. You know, I mean, it's just this Jekyll and Hyde team, you know, you almost start writing them off being so far under 500. And then, I mean, you you really just have to rattle off like nine, ten in a row. And dig yourself out of the grave that you that you dug for yourself because that's what the Cubs did. They dug themselves a big old hole by pa- playing poorly for a month. And um, they, I mean, it's just the only way to. I mean, you could still win the central. You could win the central, maybe. I mean, because of the balanced schedule, you could have a losing record and win the central. It's possible this year. It really is. You could be like, you know, like seventy nine and eighty three and take it. <laughs> oh yeah. This, this, this division, nobody wants to win this division, Danny. Like the Reds are kind of trying. The Pirates are kind of trying. The Cubs are kind of trying. The Brewers are trying for now. The Lull Cardinals are, are hopefully not going to come back and try, but you never know. It could happen. Um, I was watching on MLB network. They said the Cardinals have not actually had a trade deadline where they sold in like 20 years. They just don't do it. It's not, it's not the Cardinal way to, you know, sell off guys at the trade deadline and I'm like wouldn't it be fun to watch the Cardinals have to have a trade deadline like we've experienced the last few years just one time in our lifetime just just once I would like the Cardinals to experience that pain Uh, if the Cardinals have to sell at the trade deadline you know we will be talking about it here in the meantime Danny what are you working on where can people find you I know you have some fun stuff going on this weekend yeah hey everybody come on out to output Wrigleyville where the Bleacher Bum Band will be releasing our brand new album out of left field that also drops Tomorrow, it'll definitely be on Bandcamp and on all the different streamers uh, at some point. But um, soon, it's been uh, delivered to them. But uh, yeah, look for that. I'll be tweeting out about it at Sunranto. But if you want to come, it's post-game, 5 p.m. I'll put Wrigleyville. There's not a lot of space back there, so it is free. I would imagine it's going to fill up back there, so get there as soon as the game's over. If you're around, if you're not going to the game, you're still more than welcome to come and check out. We'll be playing from 5 to 6 and we'll see you tomorrow. Awesome. I will be there for sure. Uh, heading Sweet. over there after the game and try to get to a couple of these games, at least at Wrigley Field. Nothing like a great weekend at Wrigley uh, at Wrigley Field. It is also Pride Weekend in Chicago. And so it's that lovely. This is my favorite time of year in Chicago where the Cubs are playing baseball. Four blocks away, you got Pride Festival. And then there's always some sort of like food festival or something going on on Southport. And you can just basically walk from Southport to the lake and cross like six different parties and hang out at whatever party it is that you want to hang out at. If you want to hang out at the party at Wrigley Field, you can have a baseball party. If you want to hang out at the party on Halstead Street, you can hang out at the Pride Party. If you want to hang out at the food festival on Southport, you can do a little bit of that. It is a lovely, wonderful time to be in Chicago. I hope you are enjoying it with us. But if you're not, we'll tell you all about it. Uh, after this Orioles series where hopefully the Cubs will continue their winning ways and try to chase down a weak central division till next time.